Have you ever had a dream, Neo, that you were so sure was real? What if you were unable to wake from that dream? How would you know the difference between the dream world and the real world? What's it all about? My aquatic jerk. That's from World of Warcraft. I've got to say, I'm, I'm a little embarrassed about the subject this time around, because I know how I used to feel about the game, how I still feel. For years, I had only a vague idea of what World of Warcraft was. To the extent I thought of the people who were caught up in it, or games like Halo, Grand Theft Auto, I pitied them. I couldn't fathom why people would choose to waste their time like that. How anyone could prefer staring at a screen and pushing buttons to all life's other options. But a couple years ago, that changed. And I'm still a little mystified about what happened to me. I mean, I'm a grown man. You might not know it from a distance, but it's true. How did I get caught up in an online fantasy game? It was winter in Chicago. That was part of it. <laughs> Have you ever been to Chicago in January? Or read To Build a Fire? It's not a climate that encourages people to go out and play. Now, this particular winter coincided with me getting out of a rough relationship. I was down and emotionally weary. The real world felt harsh, and sitting inside my warm home in sweats, growing a beard, ordering in, felt like just the thing. Cocoons aren't just for becoming butterflies. Sometimes you go into your cocoon, pop out the same, pay the pizza man, and go right back in. I'm Daniel Kaufman. Welcome to the Myoclonic Jerk Podcast. Today we're going to talk about games. Once again, I've bitten off more than I can chew, so this will be another two-parter. Next episode we'll deal with addiction, how we get stuck in virtual worlds, but right now we're going to look at why we go in the first place. You may think you're not part of that we, but we'll see about that. And you're definitely part of that second we. We're going to talk to video game pioneer Richard Garriott, Vlad Cole, who works for Blizzard Entertainment. A real special treat, the great actor David Kale performs a little story I wrote. I wonder if he'll delete the Woody Allen movie to make room for this on his resume. We'll hear a new episode of Plane Crash Follies, Ryan Ridley, Kostaki Economopolis, and much more. Here we go. You are isolated on a remote plantation in the crawling Amazon jungle, and an immense army of ravenous ants is closing in on you, swarming in to eat you alive. A deadly black army from which there is no escape. Escape. Carefully contrived to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. So, you begin by creating your avatar. I went with a human warrior. Self-loathing gamer from the start, I named him Life Waster. 
When you're done, you see a button that says, Enter World. That's a positive spin on what's happening, but I don't suppose anyone ever considered having it say, Leave World. But to the people who play, I'm not sure it would make clicking that button any less inviting. It's kind of the point. So what happens in this world? There's an acronym you need to know going forward, MMORPG. It stands for Massively Multiplayer Online Role-Playing Game. I asked Vladimir Cole, who works for Blizzard Entertainment, the company that makes World of Warcraft, what the game is all about. His answer was not what I was expecting. The way I think about it is, I studied the buildings Roman when I was studying English in college. What? You better spell that. B-I-L-D-U-N-G-S. R-O-M-A-N. It's this big, ungainly German word to describe a narrative of development. A lot of the Dickens novels, David Copperfield. And so in a novel of development, you start from level one uh, in RPG terms and achieve level 60 greatness. Mm -hmm. So that's what an RPG, I think, appeals to is this idea that everybody starts from the same tabula rasa and through their own application of heroic deeds and work ethic, they achieve greatness. Or killing 10 spiders. Or killing 10 <laughs> spiders. So this is all a long-winded way to define the MMO. It's the story of your own development as the protagonist. You take that single-player RPG and you add a bunch of other players to the same world. Mm -hmm. And you all live in that world and explore that world simultaneously in real time. Right. So you and I, if the Matrix is correct, we're both in an MMO right now. Uh, <laughs> and we are leveling up from birth to old age and achieving certain things throughout. So MMOs try to emulate the world in that way because the world is ultimately filled with other real people versus algorithms. Um, because computer-controlled characters, or as they're often called, NPCs, what? that's non-player characters, are predictable and boring. You know, you go up to an NPC in a typical MMO and they repeat the same few lines over and over. Yeah. Greetings. Need help? Light be with you. Need help? What's your problem? Knock it off. You're getting on my nerves. Greetings. And it doesn't feel like a vibrant world when it's filled with hollow people like that. So by filling the world with other humans who are unpredictable and funny and angsty, you create a more vibrant world. So World of Warcraft specifically happens to be the most successful MMO yet. I think we're still really early in the industry's yeah. development. There will ultimately be some MMO that's played by billions of people. World of Warcraft is in the same genre as most RPGs. Fantasy, swords, dragons, mm -hmm. acts of daring do, and it's now six years old. But the art was always created to have a timelessness. Some MMOs try to push the latest graphics or achieve verisimilitude, whereas World of Warcraft is deliberately stylized. So yeah. it's a really accessible and visually compelling universe. Okay, that's a start, but why am I going there? I decided to go to the source. Richard Garriott, a.k.a. Lord British, is the creator of the Ultima series, which eventually became Ultima Online which got the whole multiplayer online role-playing game thing going. You may not know his name, but he's kind of the Bill Gates of the gaming world. How successful is he? He's gone to outer space for the fun of it. I asked Richard if he thought escape was the right way to describe what's happening when we play games. There's no question there's an escape component to it. And here's the way I would describe the escape. I'll be sitting at the airport or getting ready to go to bed, or I'll be at a point where my mind doesn't have anything compelling it then I begin to go through all the worries of life. Right. 
And so then what I find is playing a game is a great way to move your mind from the cycle of worry into the cycle of accomplishment. So you really do move from, wow, I've got all these pressing things, that none of which are really actionable at this moment, but will otherwise right. keep me in less of a positive mood. Then if I go ahead and sit down with a game that I admire, I mean, I look at them and go, what clever designers these guys were to have assembled these in these ways. And so right. I find it inspirational. Okay, cycle of worry to cycle of accomplishment. I like that. But everybody worries. Why doesn't everybody play? I asked Vlad if there was a certain kind of person who tends to get caught up in games. He told me there were actually four kinds. Richard Bartle suggested four player types. There's the achiever, which is focused on getting to max level. There's the explorer, which is focused on just exploring the world, seeing the sights. Mm -hmm. The socializer, who's focused on chatting and building friendships. And then there's the killer, who's focused on player versus player, violence. Uh, on violence. Everybody has a little bit of all four of those in mm -hmm. them. Anybody that's in end game activity, like killing dragons with yeah. 25 people, they're all focused on achievement. But because they're in a guild, they all have a bit of the socializer in them. Right. And because they're out there slaying large dragons, there's maybe a bit of the killer in them. Okay, so we've got the explorer, the socializer, the killer, the achiever. Let's take them in order. I think about places that I've been to there and they feel like real places. I know my way around. I know I make a left turn here and there's an auction house or a cave. Yeah, it's interesting. When I was playing EverQuest, I dreamed about the places I was playing in. Yeah. And years later, I go someplace in the real world and I'm like, I've been here before. Yeah. But then, then realize. sometimes I realize it's like another virtual place I was at. So it's funny how interwoven those memories have become. Well, like I said, Richard Garriott has been to outer space in real life. I asked him if there was any connection between that escape and the kind we get from games. Oh, I think they're very related. Exploring a virtual reality and the exploring of a physical reality give me very much the same reward. But for me to explore a virtual reality, it has to be a pretty darn good one. If what you're exploring is the limits of Unreal Tournament, you can get into an addictive cycle of playing it for months on an end. Mm -hmm. But the exploration part of it only lasts a few hours to get what it is and what it does and how it works. And Then it's a different kind of know. repetition pleasure. Right. Yeah. Then it's a different kind of pleasure. Yeah. But for me, the exploring, well, I'll use like Monkey Island 2 since I just played that recently. Uh -huh. It's very much the same as I like to go into caves and explore caves. Not only is it hard to get into... But you also know that not that many people go there. And in some cases, if you get in virgin territory in a cave, mm -hmm. no human in history has been into this particular area. And I very much feel the same way when exploring a brand new game that's just come out. It's very diverse. It's been created by a master artist who has really built a beautiful, engaging, and logical experience, one that has a sense of purpose and flow or evolution to it. And I get the same thing whether I'm going down to Titanic or... Oh, you've done that? Yeah. I was on the first commercial dives of the Titanic. I'm one of the owners of the company that takes the subs down there that actually James Cameron, to film the movie Titanic, used our subs. Oh, wow. You went before Cameron. I went before the movie. Yeah, right, exactly. Right. So, uh, wow. Plus, I've been dugout canoeing down the Amazon, been tracking mountain gorillas in Rwanda. Uh -huh. I've been to Antarctica hunting meteorites. Wow. So the reality in which we live is a wonderful and great place to go explore. 
but so are virtual worlds in a very similar way. I get great joy and fulfillment out of both of them. World of Warcraft really does satisfy that need to explore. It's impressive for someone who grew up on games like Donkey Kong, where your flat avatar moved left, right, up, down, across a flat world. The four arrow keys are still the center of your control, but now it's left, right, back, forward. Now you're not going back and forth like some sad shooting gallery duck. Now you're going in. This is one of those things the game is best at, a feeling of depth, of real movement through three-dimensional space. Things in the distance are small and dim. As you move towards them, they get larger and sharper. You go inside and the light is different. You turn around and can see every corner of every room. It feels like you're somewhere. Once I showed the game to a curious friend, I shared what was to me a spectacular vista. Mountains, trees, animals, sky, even an aurora borealis. Isn't it amazing, I said. My friend, somewhere between smug and concerned, said, but it isn't real. I couldn't argue with that, but so what? Much of what we do for fun is some form of tricking ourselves. Watching TV, reading a book, looking at art, it's all largely about entering a dream state. I feel awe about the scope of the achievement of this game. I've flown over white-capped mountains, able to make my way to every inch of a vast changing landscape. I can keep traveling and find myself in a swamp, or the desert, or an arctic tundra. I can move to the highest elevation or underwater to the lowest. There are miles of terrain to explore. I don't know how it all fits in my hard drive. It is stunning. But it isn't real. You know, my friend was not completely right. One night I was playing with a group and messed up badly and got everyone killed. I was abruptly ejected from the group and one of the players berated me for my lousy play. I felt bad. Our exchange cycled in my head, just like real-life arguments do, with me trying out different retorts, searching for the most satisfying put-down. The voice of reason said, who cares, it's just a game. But that only added a layer of shame. A grown man having emotions about an online cartoon. But that summation wasn't quite fair to me. What makes World of Warcraft powerful is that it is real in part. There are real people inhabiting many of the characters you come across. Somewhere out in the world, there was a real guy spitting mad at me. A pathetic schlub, clearly, but still real. That is affecting, and it's only natural that it is. Just as when other people were kind to me or made a good joke or LOL'd at mine. Remember in Raiders of the Lost Ark where Indiana Jones falls into the pit of snakes? I learned that in that scene they used a great mass of rubber snakes. The real ones slithered in and out of the rubber ones and we saw enough life to feel that they were all living. World of Warcraft is like that. It's a little real. Which brings us to Bardo player type number two. The socializer. If you look back a hundred years ago, the people who were your physical next door neighbors were people you generally had common interest with. You worked on a farm and the guy who lived next to you worked on the same farm, probably, mm -hmm. or at the same factory. And in today's commuting society, your neighbor is, as often as not, somebody you don't even know. And you probably don't have regular interactions with your neighbor. It's definitely true. Your neighbor's a stranger. Yeah. And that's unique to the modern era that I think is helped by interactive computer games. And multiplayer games now are 10 to 1 bigger than solo player games. Mm -hmm. 
the people you bump into online are people you do have common interest and care about and then go out of your way often to find each other in the real world. There are people who do live their whole lives in fantasy. And it doesn't even have to be a role-playing game. It can be fantasy football or or even before that, just being a fan of a football team and living vicariously through that. I mean, I don't don't want to judge anybody. Well, I do. And I know just the guy. We'll get back to Ryan later. Right now, I want to talk to my friend, comedian, football commentator, and fantasy football enthusiast, Kostaki Economopoulos. It's uh, spelled just like it sounds. What's up, buddy? So it turns out that your uh, fantasy football is just as lame as my World of Warcraft. <laughs> just as nerdy and pathetic. <laughs> I agree with that. I see. I, I kind of remember uh, sitting in a hotel room after a gig somewhere when I was playing World of Warcraft to my laptop, and you kind of had this air of, boy, Dan, you've really gone up the deep end. Well, I think the judgment was less about the subject matter than the time spent. But the yeah, you're well, right. How much time I, are you spending on fantasy football? I'm stammering and backpedaling a little bit because <laughs> I think you're right. The thing about fantasy football, if I can defend my little corner of okay. Nerdland. It's once a week. Fantasy baseball's every day for six months. But aren't you spending a good amount of time checking stats and doing research and crap like that? It's like anything. You can embrace it to the nth degree, or you can just do a little bit. And Uh probably the outcome at the end is fairly similar either way. (laughs) I'm somewhere in between. I don't go too crazy with it. You're not an addict. I very much am into it, but I'm not. That sounds better than addicted. Yeah. I'm committed. I'm not addicted to heroin. I'm just into it. <laughs> it brings me pleasure. For years, I would see guys in airports reading the sports section, and I was just so looking down my nose. Like, their waste, their life is so full of interesting things. Right. The rest of that paper is full of news that matters. And I felt hesitant about fantasy football because it felt like a waste of time. But what I realized is I so enjoyed it. It mm-hmm. made me happy, and so I stopped with this judgment about it, and I just embraced it, and I've had fun with it. Okay. Well, what does it do for you? It's an escape of some kind, right? It's that Zen thing of focusing on the details and forgetting about the rest of the universe for a little while. And it's very interactive. So every week you play Glenn, and then the next week you play Mike, and you can send a couple emails or trash talk on the board, and you winnow it down to get to go to the playoffs. There's a whole story that unfolds with your buddies. It's sort of the same reason that I was drawn to poker. If you go see a movie, you're not talking to anybody. But if you play cards with your buddies, then you're interacting and you're giving each other shit. But games are also interactive and they're social because you're playing online with other people. As a kid, I always loved board games. And even now, once in a while, I'll be in a situation where I'll find myself playing Taboo or categories or something with a bunch of grown-ups, and I love it. Oh, yeah. It's like you almost need some dumb little activity to engage you guys, and then all the fun socializing and joking around happens. You know, sometimes people get together and the conversation just flows and it's awesome, but sometimes it helps just to have a little purpose to get you rolling. Yeah, it's like a talisman? Is that the word? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know everything, Kostaki. But yeah, it's interesting you brought up poker because I remember the first night you played poker, we were working together and I signed you up with an account and I went to sleep and then I woke up the next morning and you were still there playing. <laughs> so you, you definitely have this addictive personality. Well, I was so fascinated by the game. It's, a, oh, it's you were such fascinated. a beautiful game. Yeah. Online poker is definitely about getting away from the universe for a while. Right. You're also making money. What I love about poker is the nerds win. <laughs> People think of poker as a guy with a cowboy hat and uh-huh. bluster and attitude wins. No. If 
you watch these World Series of Poker final tables, these are guys with Ivy League degrees and you right, know, right. masters in game theory. Well, that's interesting, the nerd thing, because it seems like fantasy football is even more of a collision between the nerd world and the jock world than poker. Yeah, it happens to be about jocks, but it's really way more than the nerd side of things, because <laughs> you're not doing anything jockey, and it's all about numbers. Right, and... right. But it's kind of strange... Jocks and nerds are thought of as enemies, you know, and now the nerds are sort of betting on the jocks and rooting for the jocks and pitching their fortune. And with jocks, they're like cheerleaders. Very weird. And that seems to go against what nerds are supposed to be about. That's why I refuse to play fantasy football, because I hate jocks and I remember what I am. You guys are sort of pretending that you're jocks, right? You're just like me in World of Warcraft with my big sword. You're imagining yourself on the field with a football, aren't you? Is of course. I wanted that? nothing more than to be a middle linebacker. It's too late. I missed my chance. <laughs> too late. There was never a chance. That's a good point. Look at yourself. <laughs> but at least in theory, when I was younger, it seemed like it was a possibility at no. some level. No. So there is that role-playing aspect for you guys. Yeah, I think so. Your fantasy guys are, you're watching them in the field and are you inhabiting them to any degree? Yeah, you really connect with guys. You buy that guy's jersey. And oh, you wear a costume. There's very little of that, but... No, what do you mean? You're all wearing jerseys, right? That's the costume of no, a professional football sometimes. player. sometimes. I can't What's say never. What's the difference between that and somebody putting on a Spock costume who you laugh at? You guys are wearing <laughs> the costumes of professional athletes. You're sitting around with your beer bellies <laughs> and your glasses. Costume's got such a pejorative. I know, that's why it. I used it. <laughs> trying to confront you with reality now. God, I hate it when you make good points. It's so painful. <laughs> you're right. Well, okay, I'm glad you know you're a nerd. You're one of us. <laughs> so, yeah, I think it's time to broaden our definition of nerd. Sure, people into computer games are the obvious classical nerds, but that's quickly becoming everybody. I say a nerd is anyone who's a little too into anything. So, yes, comic book fanboys and Trekkies and all that, but let's not leave out the sports fans. And I don't just mean the face painters. I mean anyone who memorizes stats or just gets emotional about where a ball goes. Big nerds. Or how about bikers? I saw one the other day riding a Harley and wearing a Harley shirt. We get it. We see the bike. Why are you wearing the shirt? Yeah, but well, what about when I'm grocery shopping? I don't want to be wheeling my cart around and have people not know about my Harley. You're a nerd, buddy. If you were really a rebel, you'd ride around in a suit. Do you get it? Do you get how silly you are? Guy I would never say this to in real life. Okay, now it's Ryan time. I'm not even going to play the theme music. What we just heard was so much more appropriate. I, I think that might be the new Ryan music from now on. It was World of Warcraft first, or was... Uh... Yes, of course I played World of Warcraft, the online... Yeah, Massive, wait, was it massively? MMO... Multiplayer, o... online, role-playing game. Yeah. MMORPG. Massive, multiplayer, online, role-playing game. You played that. It means that most of the players are massive that play. <laughs> That's not nice. No. Why don't they give you an option if you have like, a dumpy persona? The human because woman it's a character. fantasy. Like every, this well, is, all should, the dumpy people, this is where they go to not should, be dumpy. You should be able to create your character any way you want. I should have been able to do a frumpy, <laughs> even if I pick an orc. <laughs> Come on, even she'd have a. But the small enough tusks, they're okay. Yeah, exactly. It's like a sexy Klingon. She's got <laughs> the right some light, bumps on her forehead. There's something I could overlook. Yeah. Here's something that, that always infuriated me when I was playing those games. When people get irritated with you when you're not good. And you drop the yeah. ball, and then they give you shit, and they yeah. really effectively make you feel like you're a loser. 
Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. This has nothing. In the real world, I am so much better than you. I mean, yeah. for all I know, the other end of that. Most likely, if they're putting so much, you know, Stock emotional into, energy yeah, into this. Yeah, yeah, Cut to an investment banker getting blown <laughs> by a supermodel. Right. super successful. It's like Barack Obama. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> this happened to me recently. This guy was saying how pathetic I was because I wasn't even doing 5,000 DPS. It's a damage per second. Because mm-hmm. we all wiped out. And he was just talking about how high his DPS was. And I was just like, buddy, why don't you put your DPS on a t-shirt and go to a bar and see how many girls you get? You know, I thought it was- Did you say that? Yeah. Because I I come across the same thing. Like, we're playing a game. Don't be proud of it. Yeah. I'm not saying you should be ashamed. It's a fun game to play, but don't think it matters. Yeah. So I said that I'd like, go try and get laid with your great DPS talent. And the guy's like, I'm 12. (laughs) Oh my God. I know, I thought I had him, and then I was like, yeah, oh, I'm, yeah. the, 12. I'm the pathetic one here. I, like, yeah. <laughs> I was on my I, high horse. So, yeah, that was pretty humiliating, humiliating for me. Uh, yeah. About a year or so later, I started playing Elder Scrolls Oblivion on the Xbox, which is not a massive multiplayer online game, but it's still the same quest based leveling up, yeah. getting gear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just aren't interacting with a lot of other losers. <laughs> No offense. It's a solo loser. They're losers, but they are AI. They're designed by the software designers. Right. NPCs, non-player characters. And by the way, no offense, I met some blacksmiths in Elder Scrolls Oblivion that were definitely not losers. I shouldn't have called all NPCs (laughs) losers. That was really my bad. We've got a lot of NPCs listening, and uh, (laughs) I don't want to piss anybody off. I'm offended, fine sir. That's how they start their email. (laughs) They're polite, at least. you know. It's bad enough that this band of roving warlords has taken over our village (laughs) but now i have to listen to this (laughs) the guy went from like old english to old jewish (laughs) so you played that one for how long i had a friend who was playing at the same time was it dan Harmon, creator of community gosh i think it was oh well what was your character in elder scroll when i designed my character in elder scrolls i made him look as close as i could to colin farrell and miami vice which, you know, is probably who I think I look like. You think it looked like Colin Farrell? If I want to have a fantasy version. He's pretty muscly, though. Okay, why don't you get caught up in that? <laughs> You're the one who's always telling me I look like these people. Like That episode's over, Ryan. All right, okay. We're not going to go on anyway, and on about how handsome you okay, are anymore. The point is, is I, I tried to make myself look like Colin Farrell. And both times advice. you were a warrior? Yeah. So how did you stop the second time? It was fatigue. In Elder Scrolls Oblivion, there's a story arc. Okay. But the way the game is designed, you're walking around and you're on one quest and all of a sudden someone's like, hey, hey, man, hey, man, man, some trolls just ransacked my vineyard. And you're like, ah, shit, okay, all right, hold on, hold on. Let me, <laughs> let me put that on here. And then, you know, you go take care of put the that thing. Put that on my to-do list. And you, you scratch that off and then you've got the other ones that have accumulated right. while you've been taking care of that. Right. There's a lot of other little quests that are totally irrelevant to the main storyline. Well, I played like 70 hours and never even touched the story of the game. Even this fantasy world that's escaped from real life challenges. Yeah, I'm like, I can't even deal. I can't can... save Elder Scroll World. I just, I can't be bothered. Even it's there, too you're much. A slacker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're no, a exactly. slacker within a slacker. And I remember my friend who was playing it at the same time beat it, and I go, well, maybe that's why he's more successful because maybe this is symbolic of how we uh-huh. go through life. I thought, God, what does it say about me that I didn't finish the main quest? I wasted all this time just circling. And right. I always told myself, oh, I'll get around to it. I just need to get my character a little bit stronger. Think- it's what people do a lot in life. They go, I'll take that next step. Right, you circle the pool. As soon as I get a little die. bit this, a little bit that. Like, I've heard people want to be writers. Right. I'm going to start really writing my screenplay when I buy my new computer. Right. 
Okay, meanwhile, the Marquis de Sade, he pricked he his finger his and wrote with his blood poetry. I mean, yeah, obviously, that's insane, but the point is... <laughs> I have a pen. No, no, I'm good. Yeah, 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 yeah. We've got a box full of pens, yeah. right? You don't really have to... <laughs> we never said you couldn't use a pen. For God's sakes, <laughs> we're a prison, but we're not... We're not animals yeah. here. Oh, God, not the feces, not the feces. <laughs> Yes. I like to write in my own fluids. <laughs> you know that it's friends. You don't understand. Even when the guy had a studio with streams <laughs> of paper and ink, it was still feces and walls is all he, <laughs> his publisher. When I had to proofread, it was just me <laughs> with whiteout and feces on a wall. Did he have to use his own feces to correct? Yeah, exactly. Don't correct me with a pen. That's an insult. You use your goddamn feces and you eat something green. So I can see your notes. So <laughs> oh, it needs to be a different color. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so you were... Uh, oh, so he was driven and you were avoiding your main storyline. Yeah. Right. Elder Scrolls world, the demons of oblivion were still consuming it. Right. You know, you didn't I mean? do anything to help out. I was like Frodo getting really good at racquetball. Like, <laughs> hey, are you going to take the ring to Mordor? Oh, man, I, I will. But I can just get my, my wrist there's a little a big stronger. There's a racquetball tournament coming up. And, yeah. Uh, I think there's a correlation. I'll get really good at throwing the ring into that volcano. You were like apathetic youth, not getting involved in the world yeah. around you. Kind of. Even yeah. in a virtual way, you were yeah. just a selfish. I mean, literally the only job of my character was to save the world. Yeah. I'm freed from jail told by a character with the voice of Patrick Stewart, you have the mark. You are the chosen one to defeat the evil <laughs> demons from oblivion. Like, I, I don't feel like gladiator yeah, yeah, yeah. for a while. Hey, chosen is a relative term. Maybe. I'm sure someone else will. Yeah. No, you don't understand. This is not a <laughs> massive multiplayer online role-playing game. Yeah. It's just you in here, buddy. You, you, I didn't do it. Those people. <laughs> They're still out there, man. Those poor peasants. They never got saved. Those mermaids. All, them, all the mermaids universe. and the elves. Oh, goddamn. Imagination is funny. It makes a cloudy day sunny. Makes a bee think of honey just as I think of you. Imagination is crazy. As a general rule, television is still a passive experience. It's something you sit back and you absorb. And doing something interactively on a computer, that interactivity forces you to acknowledge and respond. So it's impossible to just passively absorb. At the very least, you have to acknowledge that, yes, I got it, and let's move on. And more often, you're saying, yes, I got it, and now I can make actionable what you've just shown me. So as a learning tool, as a way to provoke thought, an interactive computer game is far more powerful, far more effective than the previous mediums of books or television. Man, I just don't know about that. When I read, I feel smarter. And when I play games for a long time, I feel dumber. For me, playing games feels like turning off. Vlad and I got into a similar conversation. I feel like the idea that games are not passive, it's illusory for most games. It's like those cars you ride at Disneyland. You feel like you're driving a car, you know, but you're on a track and you can go four inches this way or four inches. Have you ever ridden well, those yeah, cars? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's, 
how many choices you have in the Scrabble type games. You have yeah. a board and you have only so many tiles, 26 letters, and you have to make a choice with those letters. But literally, they're infinite combinations. Right. If you look at the MRI data of brain activation in all the various forms of media, uh -huh. your brain is lit up on games more than any other medium in existence. So if you believe MRI data has something to tell us about brain activity... Obviously, there's that, something there. But I don't think the game has been made yet that you feel ennobled or enlightened by playing. It's still this fun, escapist, trashy kind of experience. No, I think, think that... games completely... I think they have the potential to get there, but I don't feel games have reached a level of art that books and movies have. I think yet. it's a different type of art. What I think happens with a game is it rewires your brain for problem solving. Books are ultimately not an interactive experience. You cannot change that story. I'm not saying this is an attack on games because I do feel like games are going to evolve. I feel like art is coming, but I don't feel like they're there yet. Well, certainly, I mean, there are movies that will leave you looking yeah. at the world in a new way. Yeah. And a great book. I mean, obviously, I was an English major. I love books. What's your favorite book? That's a tough a one. A favorite. Just I mean, book uh, you love. Great Expectations, actually. Okay. I mean, is, is there probably... any game in the world that's touched the level of art or what that book has done for you? Yeah. EverQuest, easily. Yeah. Um, it's incredible. It taught me about virtual organizations and teams. Uh -huh. I mean, that's the work world of the future. So I think there's uh, an incredible number of lessons to be learned from collaborative games like EverQuest and uh, World of Warcraft. I know what you're saying, and I tend to see the beauty in books more easily than I see the beauty in games. But I think when we make statements like that, we're looking for something that compares on the same yardstick. I don't know that, yeah, every new art form needs to be judged on its own. We need to develop a new vocabulary for judging it and understanding it. Yeah, I don't feel like I'm saying anything critical of games. I'm just saying that we're at an early stage. Maybe we're at the silent movie stage. Or you look at fine art and it seemed like it was all crude and then they wanted to be more and more just photorealistic. And then in the last century to just open up and it's Matisse and Picasso and all this interesting, crazy stuff. Although, if you look back at the cave drawings and yeah. the hieroglyphs... They started out there. They started out as symbolic, and maybe we will look back years from now and recognize the art that we're uh, failing to see. Good one. <laughs> well played, sir. <laughs> Vlad and Richard make a strong case, but I just want to take one more futile shot for the fuddy-duddy, clinging-to-the-past side. They both say books are not an interactive experience. But when we read, we look at marks on a page and conjure worlds. What is that if not interactive? I think what they mean is books are not collaborative. Yes, we can't change the story, but isn't that for the best? Tolstoy doesn't need our help. Sometimes comedians point this out to hecklers. Hey, I didn't write this joke hoping some drunk would jump in and yell at me. Collaboration doesn't make everything better. When I read a great book or see a great movie, it's true I'm not connecting that much to the other people in the audience but I am connecting to the people who made it. They're expressing something to me about life or their feelings or their sense of humor, and it may not be happening in real time. They might even be dead, but we are connecting. Back me up, Walt Whitman. It avails not, neither time or place, distance avails not. I am with you, you men and women of a generation or ever so many generations hence, I project myself. Also, I return. I am with you and know how it is. My body is a cage that keeps me from dancing with the one I love. My mind. Key.
Tabitha Ruth smoothed her yellow skirt over her knees and looked down at the snake patterns in the linoleum and tried to be calm. She needed to figure out out, a way out. Soon the men in white would come for her with their sticky eyes and long fingers. They would put her on a chair with wheels and push her to a room made of pillows and lock her in. The pillows would be full of dust mites, which are microscopic crabs that crawl into your pores and clip your capillaries with their pincers until you bleed to death. Your toes and fingertips turn red and swollen, and the red rises up you like a thermometer in summertime. How strange, thought Tabitha, to bleed to death with all the blood still in you, to have everything you need, just not in the right place. That is how it is for me, she thought. I have love and smarts, but it is all in the wrong places and hard to get to, like the fresh milk that Papa puts in the rear so people will buy the old milk first, so that no one ever gets milk at its best. Tabitha's father had a corner market in Midtown. It was cramped like the city, with every bit of space put to use, with items stacked to the ceiling, and her father used a pole with a gripper at the end to reach the high items. Why didn't he protect her? Why didn't he take the gripper and hold her far away until he was better? Tabitha wished she had a gripper, no, two grippers, she would use them to pick people up as they came toward her and then put them down behind her where they'd keep going and not come back until they'd circled the earth. Maybe they would get tired and settle down somewhere on the other side and not come back around. But even if they did, it would take a long time. She could put the grippers on the men in white and push them out the window. It was right there by the elevators. As the men in white came out, she could grip and push them over and out. Grip, push, grip, push, grip, push, until they were all gone, until their bodies piled so high they'd reach right up to the window, and she could jump out and land on them, run down the white mountain. No, no, ski down. She'd make skis of cafeteria trays with the grippers for poles and ski down, whoosh. And then she'd go to the water and make a raft of the trays and the grippers would be oars and she'd sail to a warm tropical island and the sun would be out, not hidden behind clouds like good milk and good thoughts. And the blue of the sky would be out too, not covered in smog like the whole city. And she'd lift the warm sand and let it fall through her fingers and the waves would say, Phew, phew, we made it, phew and the seagulls would cheer, and then the crabs would crawl up the rocks and pinch her. Big crabs would tear her open like a sardine can, and all her blood would go out into the sand, and the bad thoughts too would sink into the red sand, but the good thoughts, no, the good thoughts were light. They would finally be free and float up to heaven. She would be an angel. The elevator went ding, the men in white, but now Tabitha knew what to do. The window. No white mountain, but that didn't matter. She would fall all the way down and kill the bad thoughts and be an angel. 
finally all the best right in front, finally free. She leapt up and sprinted. The elevator doors parted. She knew she'd have to run as fast as she could to break through the glass. She knew she could, like a bullet. She had to. Five more strides to freedom. She saw a white shoe. She just had to make it past. She held her fist forward like a battering ram. Three more strides. Two white men came out. They saw her. Their eyes were big. Tabitha tried to go around, but <laughs> one plucked her up like she was as light and frail as a fluttering moth. He held her easily as she thrashed and squirmed. He was very big, and he held her and stroked her head with one great sandpaper hand and shushed her and said, It's okay, baby. It's okay. Everything's gonna be okay. Set my spirit free. Set my spirit free. Set my body free. To make a decision how to move forward with your life is you've got so many variables and so few perfectly good answers, even if you knew all the variables, that life is very complicated. On the other hand, a linear story or even a game which is too linear can have so few choices, it's kind of just a mental machination of some kind. You know, you're not really accomplishing or learning or challenged in any way. The great thing about a game is that we, the creators, and buyers by their vote with the dollar, determine exactly how guided and how challenged you want to be. The reality we build in games, while it can be somewhat complex, can still have a, compared to the real world, limited number of variables. And so therefore you can make problems that have a truly correct answer. So that when you choose the right path, you really did do the right thing. And you really did get the big reward. So the payoff can often be more powerful or at least feel better than the complexity of the real world. When I some glad morning, Lord, I fly away. And now, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for Plane Crash Follies with a new cast of characters each and every episode. We take you now, as always, to the interior of a commercial airliner that is plummeting to a terrible end. Let's do this. One more level. Here we go. Uh, uh. Ah. That's it. All right. Damn pigs. Shit. Oh. A little higher, come on, last chance. Come on, go! Go, do it! Yes!
Does it ever occur to you that some stern, buttoned-up person you're dealing with in the world will likely be masturbating before long? We all cultivate these respectable public surfaces that have so little to do with our actual selves. Talk about not real. Are we not all avatars of our true selves, all the world a game, and all the men and women merely players? If you imagine someone else using pornography, it tends to be a sad scene, a lonely man in the dark staring at a screen. But that's the view from above. That's not his view. He's there. He's in it. In his mind, it's beautiful imagery. It's bright sensation and release. Part of why virtual reality, be it masturbation or gaming, seems silly from the outside is because you are two mental steps removed from the experience. You are viewing from outside someone else who is viewing from outside. And if you feel scorn or disapproval, does it occur to you that you are also indulging in a top-down gamer's view of things, disconnected from the inner reality of the other, forgetting yourself in the process and enjoying it? You have so much more power in that world than we do in our real world, which is frustratingly full of impediments that no matter how good or virtuous or studious we are, there will always be roadblocks. Mm -hmm. um, whereas MMOs and RPGs are generally designed to allow you to win with challenge. It's not all free, otherwise it wouldn't otherwise be interesting. Boring, right. Yeah, right. Be that yeah. right balance. Well, that's Flo, that scientist whose name I can't pronounce. Mihai, Chiksa Mihai. He defines flow. Too easy would be boring, too challenging would be frustrating. It's right there in the middle. A right. good game does that and allows you to continue to build and learn in this state of flow. Give it up for Hannibal. I went to this bar around here. I thought there was a comedy show going on in the back. They didn't have a comedy show. They had Nintendo Wii bowling set up. <laughs> and it was two girls and a guy playing. A guy asked me to be on his team. We played against the girls. Then we lost because of me. He got ready to leave. He was like, all right, see y'all later, ladies. And to me, he was like, hey, man, step your game up. <laughs> I was like, nah, dude, you step your life up. <laughs> Get some real passions. I play a lot of video games. I play Grand Theft Auto. Grand Theft Auto is a really detailed game. On this game, you could buy clothes and go on dates with video game girls. So I bought an outfit that I thought the video game girl would like. I bought shirt, pants, and shoes, and I picked her up. She was like, that shirt is ugly. So I got out the car and I shot her in the face. Don't disrespect me, you virtual twaddle needs You just shot you in the face. Now the date's over. Cause I'm playing this game for an escape from real life. I don't need your criticism in HD. Dolby surround sound. What's really hilarious is that you can't kill this girl because she's part of the storyline. So when you shoot her in the face, she's like, you're being weird, and she runs away. I'm being weird? Nah, you're being weird. I just shot you in the face and you didn't die. It's acting like it was annoying. 
That bit is twice as funny if you know Hannibal, because he's such a soft-spoken guy. I think most people would call me a gentle soul, but that's because most people aren't aware of the tens of thousands of virtual murders I've committed. But it's okay, they were fake. The killer. This is part of what's fun about role-playing games. The lack of consequence takes away anxiety. In a world with consequences, you have to sweat your decisions. You have to figure out right and wrong. It's tiring. So part of the pleasure of fantasy is knowing it's not real. Yes, we have to suspend disbelief, but not completely. If we did, gamers would pee their pants and cry. We'd all have nightmares and post-traumatic stress disorder. Some people worry about violent games, but I don't think they mean that people are evil at heart. Just because you feel like lashing out doesn't necessarily mean you want anyone to be hurt. That's why it's satisfying to hit a punching bag. But let's be honest, a big part of why we don't go around hitting people in real life is they might hit us back, or you can get in trouble. In games, you can indulge your violent impulses without anyone getting hurt, including yourself. If you screw up, you can just try again. Nobody goes to jail or the hospital, nobody's insurance rates go up, and nobody dies. We've all heard descriptions of near-death episodes. I floated above myself and looked down on everyone. That's the norm in games. The whole experience is out of body. Your soul is always safe. In the earliest video games, you had a set number of lives, usually three, but that was still mortality, just multiplied. When video games were in arcades, the financial incentive for the supplier was to end it quickly, so you'd have to put in more quarters. Then with home video games, it didn't matter much one way or the other how long we lived. You pay once and it's yours. It wasn't until the internet made subscription easy that there was any incentive for the game supplier to make us immortal. In World of Warcraft, when you die, you say, and fall, and then immediately awaken in the nearest cemetery, facing a spirit healer. The world is colorless. You then run in spirit form back to your corpse, at which point a button pops on the screen that says, Resurrect? Miracle by point and click. Blizzard made it this way so the game would be interesting but not frustrating. Who would play a game where all your progress could be wiped out with one mistake? Anyone who's born, of course, but we still long for a life that is not so brutish and short. World of Warcraft delivers. Death is reduced from tragedy to irritant. Not an end, but merely a doorway to further experience. Like people used to do with religion. Another benefit of being an avatar is a body that instead of deteriorating, improves. Instead of slowing down and getting brittle, gets faster and more resilient. My real-life hair grows thinner and grayer, my jawline ever softer. Abs, a distant memory. Memory, a distant memory. Why are these games thought of as a pastime only for the young? They are a perfect escape for the creaky population. And since aging doesn't exist in this world, neither does age. In life, we see other ages as other, and we stay largely segregated. In World of Warcraft, nobody cares how old you are. Do you have something useful to sell at a good price? Someone will buy it. Do you know your way around? Are you kind, funny? Then someone will want you in their group. Every player's character is right there in the perfect middle, at that sweet apex between progress and decline. The young get to fast forward to where they yearn to be, free and fully formed, finally autonomous. The old get to return. Okay, I saved the big one for last. The Achiever. Oh, the game started for me. I was sent off to kill 10 wolves. And I'm like, this is kind of dumb and repetitive. I don't think this is for me. And at some point, something switched. 
And I was hooked and I was totally invested and had to keep going and going and going. Would you care to speculate on what happened? I think you started to understand the rules of the world. I mean, when you pick up chess or poker, at first, there is a lot of repetition in any game. Right. But as soon as you start to experience some win states, and yeah. you start to get the positive feedback of raking some chips towards your side uh -huh. or knocking over an opposing player's piece, then that's the reward mechanism. Uh -huh. As soon as you experience any reward, you're like, ooh, that felt good. I think I want to do that again. Mm -hmm. So with that quest, Kill 10 Wraths or whatever it was you were doing, you went, back, you, yeah, you went back to the guy who uh, said, hey, great job. Here's a reward <laughs> for you. And then you got level two and you're like, oh, I'm level two. Maybe yeah. I should do that again. That's the allure of advancement. The real world seldom has such positive and instantaneous feedback for a job well done. In kindergarten, you get the gold star for hitting your nap time on time or something. Yeah. Uh, but we kind of lose that. That pat on the head. Yeah. Part of what needs to be done, though, and the same thing happens in Mario. When you jump on the mushroom yeah. and it goes boom, that little sound effect and the mushroom pleasant. going away, that's pleasant. Or you pick up a coin and it goes boom. That's positive. Yeah. All games rely on that positive and instantaneous feedback. That's part of designing a good system. I mean, when you get a new level in World of Warcraft, the reward is so wonderful, that sound. It's pretty awesome. It would be nice if when you did something good in the real world, <laughs> that happened. Every time you just picked up litter yeah. and put it in the trash can. There is an interesting trend right now. It's called the gamification of everyday life. Uh -huh. Jane McGonigal, she feels that games are going to change the world for the better because game technology is this clear reward feedback loop. There was a set of experiments that tested gamification of the real world. One of them was, you can find this on YouTube, a trash can that when you put something in the trash can, it just makes a positive sound. It actually sounds like a bottomless trash can. So it goes, <laughs> bloom. So uh, people just loved hearing that. And they found that the trash cans that were wired up in this way ended up filling up three times as fast as the trash cans that hadn't. And what you saw on the hidden camera is people looking around the park for more trash to throw into the can. Another really awesome one was a traffic camera. If the car was going the speed limit or below the speed limit, the owner of that car was entered into a lottery. And if the car was going over the speed limit, they got a ticket. The winner of the lottery got all the fines collected from all the people who were speeding. And it had some pretty incredible effects. And I don't even think the speeding ticket was a necessary part. People would just like the opportunity to be rewarded for doing right. what so they- so just a punishment only approach. That's right. With dog training, it's a big new movement. You know, I took my dogs to a puppy class. I think it's called the third way. You don't say no, you don't punish. If your dog jumps on the couch, you teach it to sit. And it's all about positive reinforcement. And it's actually very effective. And they talk about that's a better way to raise children, too. And I agree with it. I mean, and there's a lot of software that's trying to do this Microsoft released Ribbon Hero, which is Guitar Hero applied to the Office Ribbon. So when you create your first Excel macro, you get a badge. So the more you use the software, the more badges you accumulate. And the reason they want to encourage people to use different pieces of the software is they find that the more features you know in Excel or Word, the more satisfied you are with the program. I mean, the more powerful you are as a user, the more you can get done, the more efficient you are. So far from being a threat to all humanity, games looks like are guiding us to a much better world. Huh? Well, you know, there will always be people who eat themselves to death or right. game themselves into divorce. 
But the reason I'm in the industry is because I believe that games will revolutionize the education system. Think about how much difficulty we have just getting kids to be interested in learning. Yeah. And if games can make learning more accessible, if they can make memorizing the periodic table yeah, a fun sure. thing rather than a chore. You're reminding me of I tutored at a library and I was helping kids with their homework. And I never really thought about this until you just said that. But I would quiz them on their vocabulary or whatever, and they get it wrong. And I would go, ah. Basically, I was gamifying it. You were. And they responded really well. Yeah, just a simple sound. Yeah. They just, and when they got it right, did you go ding, 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 ding? Yeah, 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 something like that. Yeah. I think we're programmed by many, many years of evolution to do things that bring us food or create a positive sensation. So do you think it's a kind of escape or? Actually, it may be a form of parallel processing. You may have a problem. And what games allow you to do is put yourself in another problem space where you're solving problems and your mind is getting moving. And in the background, some inspiration may be striking or some new problem. So I don't buy that. <laughs> consider it a form of oiling of the mental machine. Mm -hmm. I feel more vocally capable after I played Words with Friends for an hour. It's a Scrabble game. Certainly my language center has been primed and all sorts of new words are just right there. Those pathways that's not are... not really an escape. Well, I guess it's a kind of escape. You're not changing your reality. But I am changing my reality. Well, I mean, I'm staring at a Scrabble a board. board. I'm in a very different problem space. That's but true. then I get to email right afterwards with friends and suddenly it just flows from my fingertips. I can't remember the name of the scientist who believed that without LSD experimentation, he wouldn't have come to a number of brilliant discoveries. Right. And I think there is something to leaving this world in order to get yourself into a new way of thinking. What video games do is a highly diverse set of challenges that teaches us a bunch of problem-solving approaches. And then you can draw on them in a number of situations. I mean, think about people who are masters at chess or at poker. I'm a serious poker player. Oh, are you? Yeah. yeah. You do statistics intuitively. It gives you a paradigm shift in how you approach the world. It's, I don't have to win every hand or every situation. Right. I just have this to long -term win. long-term thinking. Right? You have a different approach to the world as a result of that. Whatever your sport or game, it right. changes the way you approach the world and solve problems. Do you remember the moment in 2001 Space Odyssey when the obelisk lands in the midst of the apes and they stare into it and then suddenly they learn to use weapons? That's what I think games are. They're this otherworldly technology that rewires our brains in some powerful ways for problem solving. And I think after you've played a game, you have engaged in a technology that has enabled you in some mysterious way to be a better person. It never occurred to me before that there's an element of escapism in Scrabble, or that chess is a role-playing game. You're a king, right? And you have a host of characters fighting at your side. Now, chess is a pretty highbrow, respectable pastime, but no less than George Bernard Shaw said chess is a foolish expedient for making idle people believe they are doing something very clever when they are only wasting their time. But my favorite mean chess quote comes from Raymond Chandler. He said, Chess is as elaborate a waste of human intelligence as you can find outside an advertising agency. So yeah, maybe games are a waste of intelligence. But maybe wasting intelligence is something we just need to do. Let's close with a scene from Lawrence Block's Hit and Run, a book about a hitman who also happens to collect stamps. 
When he thought objectively about his stamps, he couldn't avoid concluding that the whole enterprise was nuts. He was spending the greater portion of his discretionary income on little pieces of paper that were worth nothing except what he and other like-minded screwballs were willing to pay for them. And he was devoting a greater portion of his free time to acquiring those pieces of paper and, having done so, to mounting them neatly and systematically in albums created for that purpose. He put a lot of effort into getting them to look just right on the page. This, in spite of the fact that he never intended for any eyes but his to see them. He wanted them right there on the shelves in his apartment, where he and only he could look at them. All of which, he had to admit, was at the very least irrational. On the other hand, when he was working with the stamps, he was entirely absorbed in what he was doing. He was expanding considerable concentration on what was essentially an unimportant task, and that seemed to be something his spirit required. When he was in a bad mood, his stamps got him out of it. When he was anxious or irritable, his stamps took him to another realm where the anxiety or irritation ceased to matter. When the world seemed mad and out of control, his stamps provided a more orderly sphere where serenity ruled and logic prevailed. That's the show. Please give it a review on iTunes. Just a few seconds of your time. It'll help us keep growing. Thanks for all your kind messages and emails. They keep me going, so please keep them coming. You can reach me at mailbox at myaclonicjerk.com or on the Facebook page. Thanks to David Kale for gracing this little show with his presence and making me seem like a better writer than I am. Thanks also to David Rizowski for his fine rendition of the bid on stamp collecting. Thanks to Richard Garriott and Vlad Cole for lending their insight and expertise. For the record, though Vlad works for Blizzard, he was not here as a representative of Blizzard. He was speaking only for himself. His views are not the views of Blizzard, etc., etc., etc. Thanks to my comedy buddies, Ryan and Kostaki and Hannibal, for lightening things up. And a big thank you to Adam S. Doyle for our cool new logo. Sweet! Thank you for listening. Check out the website for more information on everybody involved and maybe even some bonus material. From there, you can join the Facebook page and share your two cents with me and all the other jerks. Next episode, we'll look at game addiction and where the world is going. I'll talk about how I got stuck and unstuck. See you. Escape. Next week, you are groping through a dark alleyway in the French Quarter of New Orleans with terror driving you on. And always before your eyes is the malevolent stare of a voodoo man striking you with a deadly curse from which you must escape. Goodbye, then, until this same time next week when we again offer you Escape. Just do one more and see what happens.